0: Thank you all so much for your continued listenership and support of the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. I am really happy that you continue to listen and find value in the shows that we're releasing to you. I'm very excited to share this next conversation with you all. It is a topic that I'm incredibly passionate about, which is um, about has to do about money and particularly fees in our practices and what we charge and kind of these conversations that are going on about worth and value and how we can not look at things from an either or perspective, but really have a more integrated approach to um, being able to collect the fee that uh, really matches our expertise, our training and education, and experience, um, and and allow ourselves to create a practice that is sustainable for our lives. Right? That that we're not supposed to just be working all the time. That we're we 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 should have a life outside of the work that we're doing where we're spending time with the people that we love and having fun and and replenishing ourselves. Um so I hope you enjoy this conversation with my next guest his name is Stephen Quinlan and he also is a podcaster and um and a, a therapist who's helping other therapists grow their practice. Um so Enjoy the conversation.
1: The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of The Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential-focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative-focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater Impact in their communities and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now, here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. I'm your host,
0: Raina Lombardi, and I'm really excited to welcome my next guest. His name is Stephen Quinlan, and he grew up in the mountains of Colorado. And after finishing his bachelor's degree, he decided to go back to school to become a psychotherapist in 1999. At that point, he moved to New York City to work on his graduate degree. And there, he worked for five years in the housing projects of East Harlem at the James Weldon Johnson Counseling Center, which is well known for its rigorous training of young therapists. His work focused working with children who had severe emotional needs through play therapy. And additionally, he worked with adults who were dealing with issues related to depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia. He also worked on the front lines of 9-11 and with the Red Cross, and in 2005, he decided to leave the hustle and bustle of New York and relocate to New Hampshire, where he currently runs a private practice. There, he works with clients he loves only about 15 hours a week, generating a consistent six-figure income, and this allows him to spend time... Uh, taking care of himself and working on side projects such as coaching other therapists, producing his podcast, practice growth, and writing books. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks so much for being here.
2: Thanks, Raina. I really appreciate you having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Me too. So, um, gosh, there's so much that we could potentially talk about. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's <laughs> like, sounds like a lot of stuff as you encapsulate my life there. <laughs> like, there's a lot of stuff going on there.
0: Right. It's always weird hearing somebody else read your bio. You're like, wow, did I do all that?
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Is that me? Yeah. Yeah. So
0: at what point did you decide that in your private practice, you were only going to work 15 hours a week?
2: Yeah, that's a great Question Uh, and I think this kind of harkens back to a lot of those things that you were mentioning as you were reading my bio. I if a lot of my early work was in uh, very difficult environments. uh, When you're looking at obviously, you know, you mentioned the the projects of East Harlem, and uh, I remember how difficult it was just to be there uh, and just to see some of the things that were going on. And it's hard enough to, as we both know, be in mental health period. Uh, Mm -hmm. But if the environment is one of chaos and uh, just uh, abject uh, poverty and suffering, it just is, is so much more difficult. So I think, you know, in answer to your question, I, I, Got to this place, and we can go into this more deeply. But I got to this place of I have to do something different, and something feels really unsustainable here. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, this was probably about seven or eight years ago. Uh, there was it was a gradual process in some ways, and and sudden in others, but. You know, I still had a a young family and uh, was struggling to uh, feel like I was supporting them, both uh, financially and also emotionally, being there enough for them. I had, there was a point I was working at a, a group practice, uh, with a psychiatrist and some other therapists. And I, I remember when I saw 10 clients in a day and coming home and be like, well, I, I did it, <laughs> honey, <Wow. laughs> I yeah. saw 10 clients in a day. Uh, but then I also remember because I was working so hard towards that, what my take home was on that day. And I think I made $400. Um, so Oh there was
0: that's so like painful thinking yep. about that.
2: Yes. Yes. Exactly. And it was uh, I I I was looking around and looking at other ways of how I had this idea for a while of, and maybe this was a result of being in close contact with the psychiatrists is I thought, well, well, geez, maybe if I could just prescribe medication, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be a nurse practitioner. <laughs> it was like, well, then I have to go back to school to be a nurse. And like, that seems like a lot of work. So maybe that's not the direction I want to go. Uh, but I got to a point where um, the, The practice that I was working for, was really an agency, uh, and it was very stressful at that time. They were going through a lot of shortages in terms of funding, and the pressure for productivity was off the charts, and we're trying to do all these things, like, where are we going to get the money? And long story short, they closed, and (sighs) there I was uh, with no job. And I was very hesitant to go into private practice because that felt really scary for me. And, but I had no choice. So Mm -hmm. that was what I did. Uh, And I was very much in kind of that scarcity mindset at that point of There's only so many clients, and I've got to really make sure that I, I have to keep my overhead like as low as possible. And I I will not. Sp- I guess I'll buy paper, you know, because I'll, <laughs> I'll probably need that. And everything else that just you know has to be kept under tight wraps. And that first year, uh, I did I did fine. I made maybe even a little bit more than I was making at the agency, which wasn't a whole lot to begin with. But then I got, I went through this gradual process of coming off insurance panels, uh, thinking about what my rate was going to look like. And I just started doing the numbers around this stuff. And I realized that I could get to a place of only working 15 hours a week and still having not only a, uh an income that was sufficient for me and my family but one that was like beyond what I would ever have even thought of in my life uh so that's kind of a long-winded answer to where i got to mm-hmm. that place uh and it was you know as as many of these things are uh there was there was some gradual process to it but then there were also some kind of seismic shifts that occurred along the way
0: yeah there's a few things that like come up in my mind and, and just relate to different conversations that I've had with other therapists, um, who are kind of going through this process themselves. And it's this idea that most of us start our journey somewhere in that community, mental health agency mm-hmm. environment. And that's how we learn to structure the, the business, right? That's how we learn the structure of this is what it looks like. And a lot of people come out and they take that same perspective and try to apply it in the private practice realm. Mm -hmm. And then what they create is a replica of the same problems and the same pain points as what they chose to leave. And, and I say this from my own experience too, Um, for a long time, I accepted Medicaid in my practice. And I recently, um, last year, finally, like made the court cut the cord Mm -hmm. and moved to just sole, um, full fee. Mm -hmm. And it was scary, but at the same time, it was so liberating, um, because, it really allowed me to pull back that number of client facing hours I was doing mm-hmm. per week. So that I would have more time to do these kinds of things that I really do enjoy. Um, but it makes me think, you know, things stay the same when things stay the same, we have mm-hmm. to be willing to create a different structure for ourselves to open things up in a new way. And it sounds like you eventually came to that
2: yeah yeah it's so interesting that you say that about medicaid because even before you mentioned that i was thinking back to that first year and that was one of the things that i did is i took medicaid because i knew that i had i looked at the clients that i that were there at the agency and obviously the agency was closing so there wasn't any kind of a you know non-compete clause or anything like that the clients could all come with me so that was wonderful and that I had sort of some starting numbers, but a large percentage of those had Medicaid. And so I was like, well, I have no choice. I have to take this so that I can still see those people. And that's just where I'm starting from. So it was very much like a, as you said, almost a replica of what it was that I was doing at that agency but by myself, there are some wonderful things that come out of that. I didn't have to go to meetings anymore, which was beautiful. (laughs)
0: Yes.
2: (laughs) And I could could streamline the paperwork in the way that I wanted to learning about, I had been pushing for getting an EMR. I was still writing paper notes Mm -hmm. uh, at the agency. And I was just like, you've gotta be kidding me. I mean, that the age that we live in right now, why would we not take advantage of software?
0: And it's so affordable.
2: Yeah. Right. Well, I, at least that's how I think of it now at, the, at that point, again, the thought of overhead, I was like, Oh man, I don't know if I can, if I can pay this monthly fee and mm-hmm. this really feels like a lot. And I just had to do it. And of course, like many of these things, it ends up feeling infinitely worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's that jumping off point at which we all struggle um. So I did. I took Medicaid for uh, a couple, maybe like a year and a half, and then I started doing some research into uh, what were some more high paying insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I got on a couple of those, and eventually, as you said, kind of weaned myself off the Medicaid, which is a whole process in and yes. of itself. But once you get there, as you said, so liberating so worth it Mm -hmm. uh, in so many ways. I mean, we're talking a lot about the finances, but I think also for me anyway, that sense of that there's not somebody looking over your shoulder while you're doing your work. Yeah. Critiquing, you know, is that really the right intervention that you're gonna, or are we gonna get the results that we're looking for? And this is that like managed care Mm -hmm. kind of uh, attitude towards things where we know as therapists what the curative factors are. And the biggest one is that relationship, right? Like yeah. just being there with your client. And if that means that you're doing something that's like, Hey, we, you know, i you know, this as an art therapist, Hey, we colored today, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I don't, I don't have to justify that. I can write that down. And it's just for my own you know, reference in the, in the notes.
0: Right. Yeah. I think, especially like when you're working with kids, um, Mm -hmm. you know, people, people that are really, um, into the academia of experiential interventions can easily substantiate what they're doing. However, I don't think that a lot of the insurance companies have that knowledge or background, and they might tend to look at, um, what people do experientially as fluff or mm. not really um, therapy, which of course, those of us that practice in that way have a different perspective um, because we see the, the, the curative potential within the creative process and how that can be really transformative for people. Um, but yeah, you're, you're kind of you're not really your own boss. When you accept insurance, they Mm -hmm. dictate what you can, can't do, how much you can and can't do. Mm -hmm. Um, They can deny paying you for whatever reason. They can take back money out of your bank account after they've paid you for whatever reason. And you really have no uh, recourse because as a small independent practitioner, you don't have the money to hire legal uh, folks Mm -hmm. to go up against um, a managed care uh, program.
2: Yeah, and how much time are you gonna spend trying to recoup that money And the the work that you're doing is you are calling, uh, a lot of times like an offsite place. I've found this out that uh, many insurance companies, they farm out their calls that come from providers to uh, places where maybe English isn't the first language. And if you call as a member, then you get Mr. Friendly, uh, I'm happy to help you in a different call center. So it's so frustrating as, as a provider to, I mean, I feel like we've all been there. If you've taken insurance, you know what this is like. You call and you get bounced around to three different departments. The next thing you know, 40 minutes have gone by and you're like, really all I'm trying to do is get paid for my work here and this just feels wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, right. it, it, it's kind of soul draining, you know, as opposed to you mentioned doing these, uh, side projects that I feel like for me, and I'm sure this resonates with you it like is, it builds you up in that way. It fills up your cup. It's something that you really get energy from doing. Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, working with a client who is some version of your your ideal client. It just feels great. It feels wonderful, as opposed to taking whoever walks through the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a big shift for me as well.
0: Right, because that's also part of some of the requirements of the insurance company. You can't that's turn right. people away, right? Um, depending upon whatever your contract is. Now, obviously, if you're not, if it's out of your scope of practice, you have some leeway, but um, they really don't like that if you're right. a provider. So mm-hmm. when you made the transition and you're like, okay, I, enough is enough. I have to get off mm-hmm. the insurance panels. What has been, what has helped your success into keeping a full fee practice full?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, again, the biggest kind of pain point for me that I remember was that initial decision and following through with, I'm going to get off insurance and all the fear that comes with that again it's it's very similar Uh, you and i were joking kind of before we started recording of like oh here comes that imposter syndrome person again popping up like this is never going to work out like what are you doing this is such a bad idea no one no one's ever going to see come see you uh, or, or even potentially, like maybe you're just not very good at this. Maybe you should look at doing something else. It happens all over again. So, that pushing through that and knowing that you are good enough and there is that need out there for you, and people will come see you. People have come s- seen you, and you just, you know, that you do a good job. And so, once I was able to get through that and kind of jump off that cliff, if you will, there really was not as much um, blowback from that as I thought there was going to be. <clears throat> I mean, this is, we see this all the time. Like when I talk to people about anxiety, there's always that sense of this is going to be this horrible thing. Uh, building up to before you actually go do the thing, right? And then you go and you do it, and you're like, "Oh, well, okay, that was no big deal at all." So it's akin to that. Uh, mm-hmm. People, some people, uh, you know, were a little confused about the out-of-network process. How does this work? Oh, I pay you up front, and then I can either submit or what I do is I. Again, because the software these days, it's so easy to submit a claim for somebody. I mean, I'm really just pressing a button. Mm-hmm. I take the work out of that for them. And so all they have to do is, uh, you know, I have their card on file and I charge them and off goes the claim. And sometimes they get reimbursement. Um, so most people understand and appreciate that. Um, but the other piece I think. And this is particularly applies to therapists is just money and understanding our relationship to it and mm. taking money as payment for our services. Uh, I, I remember when I had, I did actually have a, a very small side practice before I started um, full-time. I, it was like two or three clients. And and I would sublet an office from a friend of mine on the weekend. And I remember people doing things like handing me a card, a credit card, or giving me a check and just being so uncomfortable with Mm it. I thought, oh my God, like this is (laughs) horrible. I don't know if I could do this. Uh, so what I did knowing that about myself, and I think, again, this does apply to a lot of therapists is I just took that out of the equation and had, you know, I have your card on file and then it's like, you don't, it's out of sight, out of mind. Um, Mm -hmm. so that that's been really helpful. Um, and I think, uh, after that, again, these stages after getting off the insurance, uh, setting your rate and then re-looking at that rate mm-hmm. and just thinking about it is another big piece of this journey. Um, cause initially I thought, all right, well, I will make it somewhat similar to what I was getting reimbursed for with from insurance, maybe, you know, a little bit more, but like pretty close. Uh, and I thought that's, you know, some people are, going to pay that, and some people won't. Um, but the longer I, I went on, I, I thought, well, wait a second. Don't other professions get kind of these Bumps every once in a while. Right. Don't
0: they get a raise?
2: (laughs) I'm pretty sure. It's like
0: human services, like the only industry that really hasn't gotten a raise in salary in decades.
2: Yeah. I I don't know. (laughs) I think maybe, (laughs) like you might be onto something there. Look at the, you know, just cost of living wage increase, right? This is like, this is a normal thing. And, my wife, God bless her soul, who works in first grade, she teaches first grade, also, you know, maybe not the most lucrative <laughs> position in the world. Every year they give her a percent increase. That's called your steps. You go up kind of these steps and up you go. Uh, but for us, somehow that doesn't apply. So I started thinking about that and I did a couple of, at the beginning of the year, I would do, you know, small little increases mm-hmm. and nobody said anything and I just thought is this me or is this them like where is this coming from and I started to realize that it was me and it was my own relationship to money and to the value of the service that I was providing Mm -hmm. and I had been drastically undercutting myself for years
0: yeah, that's powerful, and I think that that is something that many therapists struggle with. And there's so much shaming around the topic of money, mm-hmm. um, in the therapy community, mm-hmm. um, which is upsetting on so many levels. Yeah, um, because it's I I I really feel deeply that people that are providing these services should not be in a position where they have to rely on governmental support because they're not able to sustain themselves because they're not really earning enough given the costs of living and such, right. Which I have encountered people that they're like, I don't know what to do. I think I might have to leave the profession because Mm -hmm. otherwise, like I, I'm going to have to apply for assistance, because the the jobs pay so poorly. Um, And then of course they take up so much of your time too. It's not like it's just a 40 hour work week. Most times in agencies and nonprofits, when you're doing client work, face-to-face work, you're working a lot of extra hours because there's so much required and not enough time to get everything done, um, which doesn't leave you much time to go get another job right (laughs) to kind of supplement and, um, so yeah, so like, how, how can we help the like upcoming generation of therapists that are going Mm -hmm. out into practice to be able to have more confidence to command a wage that, that is commensurate with Mm -hmm. their education Continued training, because as we all know, every therapist that I know is probably like they're some of the most educated people I've ever met because they're constantly doing additional trainings and certifications and things like that. Right. And then the experience, right? The practice, when we practice, we are honing our skills. So the longer we're practicing, the you know, better our skills hopefully are are going to be um, as a a professional. I, I don't think that most of us really consider what we earn in a salaried position as something that would be commensurate with all of that in comparison, right? People have master's degrees and doctor's degrees, doctorate degrees, and, you know, their salary is what? Maybe, 50,000?
2: Yeah. yeah, right. Well, it's I'm I'm so glad you brought this up because I this is w- what I'm so passionate about and why I started, you know, the practice growth podcast and and all of this stuff is because this is I remember when I was at a community mental health center, this is when I had, so I'd left New York and we moved to New Hampshire and it's just, you know, I, I quickly was like, well, I need a job and I'll get a job at this community mental health center. And, um, I was making already a pretty low wage and because I didn't hit productivity on whatever amount of occasions it was, I don't, I don't remember. Um, they actually decided they were going to make my wage four-fifths of what it was, because they had determined, well, that's kind of about like the amount of work you're doing is like four-fifths of, you know, uh, of a person, which like, of course, makes me think of three-fifths and some very unfortunate kind of slavery overtones, right? Um, And I I think I was making $33,000 a year at that point. And I had, you know, six years of experience, a master's degree, all of these things. Mm -hmm. And it was so difficult. And I just felt there was this part of me that felt like, well, I guess this is kind of, you know, what it's like, I guess you have sort of taken this vow of, uh, poverty. And that's, that's how it's going to be. I was explaining this to, um, my uh, my business coach the other day, and I said I remember going into this work, and I had seen a, a video on Mother Teresa, and I was very moved by this. And I just thought, I, this is just a meet like what a thing to do dedicate your life to. Here she is, just scrubbing the floor in Calcutta with uh, the poorest of the poor, as she says, and. <clears throat> I thought, well, I guess, you know, that, like, that's what I'm doing. And so my coach goes, well, you know, she had millions of dollars, right? <laughs> and I said, what? It's like, yeah, Mother Teresa, like, had all of this money, like, and there's nothing wrong with money, like, that's just, it's just a, a tool and, and all of these other things. So I really get kind of fired up about this because I, I don't want that up and coming generation to go through the same thing that I went through of Mm -hmm. all that time of not knowing what I was worth working myself to the bone, because these things are interconnected, right? Like you mentioned, you know, the amount of hours that I'm working every week. And Mm -hmm. uh, then like the other things that I'm able to do with my life, which inform the work that I'm doing, make it a more high quality product that I'm offering for people and all these things just kind of feed off of each other. So that's really like what I want to get across to people where, wherever you are in your career, if you are just starting out or you're wanting to expand kind of beyond the therapy room, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe even if you've been in practice for a while, whatever, uh, that, Knowing, knowing your worth as a professional, valuing yourself, and just pushing through all of that imposter syndrome stuff that we mentioned earlier to get to this other place is so worth it. And the world needs mental health professionals right now, you know? Yeah. We know this, we know what the statistics are on uh, mental health, and especially, you know, I know we both work with kids, especially with children. I mean, it's just heartbreaking, and there's access to services uh, is, is really hard, and I think a large part of that is because uh, people are burned out because they're not valuing themselves and then consequently not taking care of themselves. So I think those are kind of two of the big things
0: right the that piece of not taking care of oneself because we get to a place where that takes energy to take care of oneself takes energy and um the the work that we do is an energetic exchange mm-hmm. if you're working with a population of people that are extremely treatment resistant that takes a different energetic pull from you, um, doing an hour of therapy with somebody like that, or maybe it's a whole day, like maybe that's mm-hmm. the environment in which you work. That takes a tremendous amount. And then at the end of the day, what do you have to give to your family? What do you have mm-hmm. to give to yourself? Um, you know, do you have that time and energy to go, God, I really want to go to the gym. Cause I know I'll feel better but Mm -hmm. I just can't bring myself to do it. And I think that happens in those environments. And you see like a lot of high turnover in those Mm -hmm. environments because it's not sustainable. And in order for, I think, and this is only my opinion, but in order for the world to actually value what we do Mm -hmm. as a profession, I believe we have to deliver the message that what we're doing is a value and how we do that is through currency and, mm-hmm. and that exchange yes. of currency. And so until as a profession, we're, we're, we're willing to say, no, like this has to stop. We have to demand more, mm-hmm. um, of people, like we, we have to, we have to Mm -hmm. demand more in terms of our profession and, and how we're structuring things, particularly in agency settings. Um, Mm -hmm. it won't change. It'll stay the same. And people will continue to say like, well, maybe that's really not something that's valuable.
2: Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it just, it goes across the board, right? Like the, 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 the value that's ascribed to a particular thing uh, is how we judge it, as you said, as a society. There's also something about what the client feels that they're getting out of it. We've all done this. You get something for free. You know, you're kind of like, ah, okay, I got this thing. It's probably kind of a piece of crap anyway. I guess I'll have it for a little while, and uh, maybe it ends up in the trash, right? But if you spend something on it that's a fairly significant amount, that's you, you know, investing in that and saying, okay, I'm also ascribing this value to that thing. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, you mentioned the treatment resistant clients the people who are really willing to come in and say, this means this much to me in this language that we have called currency, mm-hmm. they're already that much more invested in it. Mm-hmm. And, and so it just all feeds off of itself. Uh, and there's this kind of snowball effect, I think, that happens.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I totally agree. In college, um, I had an an art professor and he was really, really hardcore about telling people you never, ever, ever give away your artwork for free. You never give it to anybody. It doesn't matter if it's a friend or a family member, you never give your artwork away for free. You make them pay for it because if not, at some point it'll end up in the trash. and, And that's your body of work that's going out there. And the only one that can really determine its value because we can't look at the art market to determine that because that is something totally different is you, you have to value what you're creating, um, and, and command it. You have to, this is what it is and stick to it. And, um, and I believe that translates to the work that we do as therapists and both of them kind of, you know, they're similar perceptions around value of, you know, what is an artist contributing and, and things like that. So, um, I felt like that, that kind of sticks with me. And in the same way, if I don't say, you know, this is, this is what I have to have in order to be present for that hour. This is what I have to have in order to be fully present, to give my committed energy to you for this hour, I can't in good ethical conscious take less,
2: right? Because
0: if I do, I'm not going to show up for you in the way that you need.
2: Yes. Yes, exactly. And that's that again, that's that the quality, you know, of the, of the work, it's so much different. If you know that you are charging uh, a high fee, be that, uh, you know looking at the demographics of kind of where you live and what typical salaries are or sort of hourly rates are you know that you really have to you have to show up just as you said and you're both showing up it's mm-hmm. you and the client because you've both agreed this is worth something mm-hmm. and that's so different than i'm being dragged into therapy or i guess i'll go and my insurance is paying for all of it or whatever Um, the other thing is, I think where this kind of bleeds out into is, you know, you were mentioning valuing yourself and it goes beyond the therapy room Mm -hmm. because once you are starting to, to value yourself in that way, in a professional way, in like a monetary way, you just can't help, but start taking care of yourself in a different way. Uh, and I, I know for me like that's where a lot of this shift happened. I made all these changes in my life with like exercise and like I um I uh, and uh, diet. Like I became a vegetarian. Like all this stuff. Like it just like kept kept going. I was like, well, how can I you know get more into this like wellness and really taking care of myself uh, because I am the instrument that is doing this work. Mm-hmm. So once you. Once you start, once you start down this this path, uh, it it feeds on itself, just as things can do in a negative way. It can snowball in that positive way as well. And what it requires of you is being willing to push through those things that are telling you you're not enough, you can't do this, those kind of negative, uh, you know, self beliefs.
0: Mhm mhm. What do you say to the folks out there that kind of espouse this idea that us as therapists valuing ourselves enough to charge what we're worth is disingenuous to the clients or comm- sending a message that they're not they're not worthy of our time, right? How can we how do we mend this bridge, which I think is a a disconnect. Um, I might not be saying, you know, verbalizing it accurately, but I keep hearing these messages come up in some of the therapy forums and things that I'm in Mm -hmm. where um, people are upset that there are some of us like ourselves that are saying, no, we have to command and, and and demand our worth and, and value and to be able to, to charge what we need to in order to have a sustainable life, mm-hmm. a sustainable practice. And I'm not in any way saying I'm, you know, becoming a millionaire off of what I do of as course, a therapist, yeah. right? We're right. just trying yeah. to like pay the Pay the practice bills and sure. make a salary that allows us to, you know, have quality of life. Right. Um. How do you navigate that?
2: It's a great question. I think a couple of things. Uh, one is that I wonder if some of those folks are maybe running up against that just what we were talking about. You know that it's there's some fear there. Around it, and they see other people doing these things, and they then feel bad that that they're not doing that. Not to analyze a bunch of therapists on <laughs> mass, yeah. But I wonder, you know, yeah. I don't know if maybe that's part of the equation. Uh, the other thing, which I think is a, is a legitimate concern, especially when we're talking about access to services and how important mental health is right now and how the, the system really isn't just able to uh, support the need that's, that's out there. I think some of that concern is, well, so what about folks who just can't afford to go to therapy? If you are charging kind of a premium rate, aren't we then having people who are falling through the cracks? And that's not right either. I completely agree. Um, And I think that there are points that when I, you know, if certainly for me and in my career, where that's where I was, was to, was to be in the trenches and to help those people. And um, I think that there will be, I certainly hope that there will always be those people who uh, are, are wanting to do that. And that's, I commend that. And that's, that's amazing. And that's, you know, people have different paths and and what's important to them and what they they wanna do. Um, I also think that maybe when you are at the beginning of your career um, and you might have more of that energy to put towards that and potentially less uh, on your plate financially, that maybe that makes sense for you to kind of cut your teeth on things that way and get started. That doesn't mean that you have to stay there though.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I, I agree. And I, and I feel deeply like, like I said, in the beginning, right. I took Medicaid until last, last year. And like, yeah. I spent a good portion of my career um, serving populations that um, had a lot of barriers to accessing care, but mm-hmm. I just got to a place where in order for me to now move into the next stage of goals of like really making sure I'm set for retirement and
1: mm-hmm. yeah. other
0: things, I had to make that, that change to say, I can't, I can't do that. I can't shoulder that responsibility. That that I'm glad to, to hear you, you
2: say the retirement word. I think a lot of therapists don't even necessarily think about that. <laughs>
0: Uh, right.
1: Like how many yeah. people
0: have you heard say, well, I can, you know, I'll probably still be working when other people are retired. Cause I can, you know, do this for yeah, a long time.
2: Right. Yeah. But it is you, unless you're, unless you're refilling yourself, it is, it's a finite amount of energy that you have. And that took me a while to really understand that I had this Maybe sort of bravado about me that, like, uh, you know, I can I can handle this. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's fine. Maybe other people start to feel a little burnout or something like that. But, like, uh, you know, I, I got this. Uh, and you can, you can, you can float on that for a while, but eventually it does, it does catch up to you and you have to be able to manage it or you're just being sort of destructive to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, this is, this is true. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, it's that, that energy that we have as each year we age, Mm
2: -hmm. you can
0: start to feel those subtle shifts of, gosh, I can't, I just don't have that ability anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so important. And I think that, Again, my, my wish for this and in, in what I'm doing is to hopefully have some other people who might be in that same situation that I was in know that there is a different way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we can all agree that we would rather have a therapist shift the way that they practice and, you know, maybe some of their clients are uh, more affluent than they than not, but at least they're still in practice. Mm-hmm. That's better than them not being around at all because we're really needed.
0: Yeah. I think too, There's um, it doesn't have to be an either or, it can be a both and yes. where we can, by, by pricing ourselves at a price point that allows us to see less clients at a higher rate It opens up more space and energy to say, well, now I can take on these pro bono cases Mm -hmm. and I can take on, like when I was doing Medicaid, I didn't do sliding scale or anything like that because Mm -hmm. I felt like that I I can't, I I couldn't based on their reimbursement rate and how many clients that I was seeing every week and all those kinds of things. I couldn't, but at, at a full fee rate, I have um, I have a greater capacity to do some of that, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't have energetically or financially. I didn't have mm-hmm. the the space to be able to do that before, and I, so I think it can be accomplished. It just it doesn't have to represent all of the work that we're doing. It can be a small portion of the work that we're doing.
2: Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. I mean, we have that ability to, if we have maybe what feels like a surplus somewhere, either energetically or financially to, to give back in some way and to do some pro bono work or to, you know, what does your sliding scale look like? Uh, Do you have some clients who maybe if you're moving towards a new price point with your, with, uh, with your fee, who you know, are probably not going to be able to afford that, but you just wouldn't be able to sleep at night if you knew that they had to go somewhere else for, they have this connection with you. And that's, you know, you make that decision based on kind of like a case by case basis and the energy that you get back from working with that client, even because again, you know, like there's that connection is there. And it's not someone who's been dragged in, who's kind of like, oh, man, we're going to get through this hour. No, this is somebody that you connect with on a profound level and you're in there deeply doing the work with them. It's Mm -hmm. just eminently rewarding.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, if therapists were looking to learn a little bit more about you help them in their practice growth- um, what, what kinds of things are you doing in that regard, Stephen?
2: Well, you just said the magic two words right there, which is practice growth. And that's the, uh, that's my, that's my podcast. And, uh, my website is growingthepractice.com and, com, um, what I'm offering right now uh, is a six-week group course uh, to help therapists work through some of these things with other therapists. Uh, the reason for that being is one thing I've heard a lot from other therapists as well is there's there's this loneliness that comes sometimes in, in this work, particularly in private practice. I think especially as we all shifted over to virtual for a while. And that for a lot of us, that's still some part of the equation. You know, it's just you in your house there a lot of the time. And uh, it gets, it gets, it gets really lonely. You don't get to, there's no water cooler where you get to kind of you check in with people and even just a quick little two minute interaction. Which I remember it was like, you're like running to the bathroom, right? And you're like, Hey, are you? like that stuff makes a difference and it adds mm-hmm. up. So my thought with the Practice Growth Group is to combine those two things of what I think are two of the, the biggest kind of pain points for therapists, which is not making enough money and feeling kind of isolated and, um, and disconnected from your work, all those things we've talked about, and also just feeling alone in that uh, and, and not getting a chance to connect with other therapists and hear what other people are doing to help themselves kind of down this path.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. I agree. Um, it can feel really lonely, and we need that connection. I, and, too, like I think, you know, what you were saying earlier, like the imposter stuff, sometimes yeah. it can feel like you're the only one experiencing that. And, like, yes. when you're in a cohort of people, when you're in a group of people, and you're all kind of doing this work together, it comes up, and you're like, oh my gosh. I really admire you. And I look up to you and I mm-hmm. see you out there doing these amazing things. I never would have guessed that you're feeling that way too. It mm-hmm. just, it feels it's, there's so much validation that comes with that and it can help us um, find the confidence and the courage to take that next step forward out on the growth ledge and, mm-hmm. um, and expand a little bit further, uh, where for just by ourselves, we might, it might take us a long time to get there.
2: Exactly. And it also helps you to identify it for exactly what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's almost like a mindfulness-based perspective where you're viewing these thoughts as they come up, right? You're, you're labeling them. Oh, okay. Here's this thought. I know what that is. Or we're just going to kind of let this go. It's, it's the same thing. Oh, it's, you know, that guy again or something like (laughs) sometimes it helps to even externalize it, right? Like here, here comes, you know, Larry or whatever his name is. Maybe he's kind of cranky and sort of cynical or something like that. I'm not going to be able to do that. And that's all that it is. And as you said, everybody feels that way. I'm sure that if we 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 were talking about Oprah earlier. I'm sure if we saw Oprah and we said, Hey, Oprah, do you ever, you know, feel that you would know exactly what we're talking about. So it doesn't matter.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So for folks that want to check out more, um, on you and your work, they can check out your podcast, which is called practice growth. And is that available kind of Everywhere.
2: Yeah. Yep. Everywhere, everywhere. Um, you should, you should be able to find it. Um, I did do a rebrand of the podcast, uh, uh a little while ago. Um, it was it, primarily, it was initially, it was for anxious children. So the, the, the early episodes that are on there are all about working with anxious kids. So if people are interested in that, there's a lot of great content on there. I had some, uh, just phenomenal guests on, uh, from, uh, Don Hebner. I don't know if you know her work or not. Uh, to um, yeah, just lots of uh, lots of great guests, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited with uh, the people that are going to be coming on as well. Uh, that we have for practice growth. Uh, just some really cool stories of clinicians who have gone through this same journey. Um, mm-hmm. that's one of the things I really like about the format is that it does allow you to identify with what it is that these people are going through. And then you see ultimately where they get, they have all these amazing things that they're doing now, but they all had to go through that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you get to kind of listen to that story from, from beginning to end.
0: It makes me think of the, the hero's journey, right? Yes. Yes. That classic kind of yes. cycle that we're all going through and fighting, you know, what, what is it that, uh, you know, demon or, um, Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, villain that we're, that we're fighting. And a lot of times it is something related to fear and, um, it's arbitrary and visible, but it's present.
2: Yeah, that's, I'm so glad you said that. That's, that's exactly one of the things that I envision as that kind of archetype of, you have to go down into, You know, a lot of times it's like a dark cave or sort of this muck that you have to wade through and you have to go through that in order to come out the other side. And we, we know this as clinicians, if you try to avoid that and work your way around it, that's where, you know, all the problems come in.
0: For sure. For sure. So, um, for listeners that want to check out Stephen's podcast, you can find it um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, but also on his website, growingthepractice.com. And he also has a free giveaway um, on there, and you have to scroll down to the bottom of the page. Um, it's a uh, tips, five free tips for avoiding therapist burnout, which I think. A lot of avoiding burnout pertains to our conversation today of mm-hmm. how we structure things and how do we create the the time and space um, to have the energy to do all those things to properly refill our own buckets.
2: Yeah, and avail yourself of self of that help that's out there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's part of what this is. And as as helpers. Uh, we also need to have some help along the way and that's perfectly okay. Uh, and so give yourself that, uh, that same, that same support that you're giving to others.
0: Mm, So true. So true. We all need, need that connection. And I know I definitely, um, encourage the therapists that I work with too, that, Hey, it's okay to reach out for, Consulting, it's okay to hmm. reach out um, to be part of another like group, uh, you know, to grow yourself. You had mentioned working with a business coach. Yep. I, I'm in a mastermind group that I've been in. This is my third year in that group, mm-hmm. and I, it helps me tremendously. It's there's such value um, in that investment uh, w- of yourself because it pushes you to a new level.
2: Absolutely. And, uh, as just as we were saying how, you know, Mr., uh, you know, imposter keeps popping up, the same thing happened to me going through this process multiple times of like even creating this podcast, making this offering, agreeing to work with a business coach. It was kind of like, uh, you know, are you, are you sure that <laughs> are you, are you really like, I, man, I don't know that. Well, I, I am going to have to spend that money on that coach. And like, Oh, I don't know. And now on the other side of it, it's just like, of course. And mm-hmm. it, it makes such a difference as you were saying. And it's, it's always worth it.
0: I agree. I agree. Well, I have really enjoyed our conversation today, Stephen. And, um, thank you so much for reaching out and for, you know, your willingness to be a guest on the show.
2: Well, thank you, Raina. I really appreciate you having me and I definitely salute you and all of the work that you're doing as well to support all, uh, other therapists. So I appreciate you.
0: Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate it too. I think that there's, uh, there's room for many of us to be doing this kind of work, um, to keep people in the field.
2: Absolutely. Very needed.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the creative psychotherapist podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Stephen Quinlan. Um, I know I really appreciated some of the takeaways of, um, we really kind of had very similar ideas about things, but some of the takeaways of you don't have to do things alone, that there's always help out there available to you too, Um, and it's important to utilize it. The other big thing that came up a few times was this idea of investing in yourself and that when you invest in yourself, you're making a commitment to the outcome that you're wanting to experience, whether that means, um, as a client in therapy, or whether that is a therapist seeking out consultation or coaching from somebody else in order to up-level what you're doing in your own practice growth. Um, Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to bringing you another episode next week. So stay tuned.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.